0: father in heaven it is it is easter morning and the truth is that your son jesus has risen whether any of us knew it or not whether any of us in this room around the planet believed it or not he's risen from the dead and i pray that in what remains of the hour that each of us in this room would be gripped with the beauty and the power and the truth and the life transformation of knowing understanding his death his resurrection for us I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm really glad you guys are here for Easter. Uh, There's a a plaque I've had on my desk at home for several years now. It has this deep meaning to me. It has this single word in the Greek language on it. The word is is tetelestai, and it translates, it is finished. And it comes from uh, the New Testament. New Testament was originally written in the Greek language, and so hence the, the tetelestai, uh, which again means it is finished, and it comes from the gospel of John, and I want to read you the passage where it comes from. The, the background, the setting is this. It was, uh, John is recording what happened on that Friday when Jesus was nailed to a cross, when he was crucified, and so John's unfolding the day, and it's now, it's six hours into the time that Jesus has been on the cross, and he writes this beginning in chapter 19, verse 28. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. Now, if you and I were down to our very last breath and we knew it, if we realized that this is the last breath and we're about to die, it would make a lot of sense for you or I to say, It is finished, wouldn't it? Life is done. My life is over. I'm about to die. This is it my my mom would say, Katie barred the door, it's all over now, buddy. It is finished. But Jesus had spent three years telling his followers, the day will come, I'll be crucified. But don't worry because two days later I will rise from the dead. I'll come back to life again. He had told them again and again and again. It makes no sense for him to be on the cross, take his last breath and say, it's finished, it's over, it's done, when he's going to come back to life in two days. So what did he mean? Why does it matter? I think the entire good news of Jesus is wrapped up in those three words, it is finished. And in fact, I think the entire good news of all the scriptures wrapped up in those three words. So I'm going to take us through this 10-minute journey through the Old Testament. Old Testament's about 1,000 pages. I'm going to take about 100 pages a minute with you, okay? And, And I want to hit about four touch points, and I want you to see where we can connect the dots. And by the time we get to John 19 and Jesus says it is finished, we'll get it. Like, we'll know the significance, the power, why some guy has that on his desk at home and looks at it every single day and is blown away by it. Bible begins in Genesis chapters 1 through 3. God creates everything. He creates Adam and Eve. So the very first man and woman that ever walked the planet, He creates them. They're in this Garden of Eden, and Scripture paints this picture of this life in this world that is indeed not exaggerated. Indeed, it is perfect. It's this life that Adam and Eve have with this deep, unconditional love for each other and this deep deep relationship with god and as you read the the words on those two pages you can almost sense them walking through the garden in the cool of the evening and god is right there beside them right there walking with them and he said to them he said you were made for this and you were made for this to never end but he said you need to understand one thing i'm made to be your god If that ever changes, if you ever decide that I won't be your God, then death will come, it will all unravel. In chapter 3, they come to this point, they're looking at this perfect world, they come to this point, and they say, we think we can do a better job with another God. We won't let Him be our God, we'll become our own God. And while God had given them this enormous freedom, this enormous freedom, just a few directions, actually just one direction, they decide to go against the one direction. And the moment they do... Everything they've known unravels. The relationship they've had between themselves, it's, it is obliterated. The relationship they've had with God is destroyed. And as the chapter's unfolding, God is forcing them out of the Garden of Eden, where they had been so close to Him, pushed out of the Garden of Eden, and if you will, pushed symbolically in reality, pushed out of His presence. And, and they, could, they could no longer have this intimacy with the God the universe they were made for and the clock of death had begun and it says at the end of genesis 3 it says that god put this guard at the entrance to the garden of eden and they could never find their way back they could never force their way back in but there's this little hint of grace at the very end of the chapter and it it almost seems like a strange one-off if you will Earlier in the chapter, they've, they've ruined their lives, and for the first time, they realize that they're exposed, and they're naked, and they're ashamed, and it says that Adam and Eve go to this fig tree, they take some figs off of it, they, they sew the things together, they make clothes for themselves. Now, I don't know if any of you have a fig tree in your backyard, but I know what fig leaves feel like, and there's just a little bit of roughness. If you rub it on your skin, it becomes deeply, deeply irritating. So picture Adam and Eve, they've made these fig clothes, and they're walking around the garden with fig leaves on, and it has to be deep misery. And here's the one-off. The end of the chapter, they're expelled from the garden, but Genesis 3.21, it says this. It's it's almost a one-off, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and Eve. It's this touch of grace. It's this kindness. They didn't deserve it. But he's watching them in their misery. And, and what seems like a one-off, he apparently he takes the life of an animal. He takes a animal skin, this soft, comfortable skin, and gives it to them and says, here, put this on. Like, cover yourself. Cover your brokenness. Cover your shame. Cover it with this. This is much better. It's God's grace, and God's grace has shown up, and there's been blood that's been shed. And if that were the only place we would think, what was that all about? But you finish the book of genesis you get to the book of exodus which is the next book and while god is again in scripture always the main character the main human character of exodus is moses in fact the main human character of the old testament is moses he he is the guy above all guys and so you may know some about moses Uh, his time is when the israelites are slaves in egypt and god says now's the time i'm going to give you freedom moses you lead them He has Moses lead them to the edge of the sea, and he says, raise your staff. And Moses raises it. God parts the sea. They escape through the sea, and and they go into the wilderness. A little bit of time passes in Exodus. It's, It's in Exodus 26, and God says, for the first time in human history, and this goes way back. Who knows how many generations, Adam and Eve, first time. I want you to build a structure whose sole purpose is to worship me. And this is so cool. He says, "In while I am every place, he says, in this structure... I will manifest my presence to you like never before any place else. And you can come into the structure, and he gives them these detailed instructions about how to build it. it. has these separate rooms, and this is really cool. He says there's this one room above all rooms. It's called the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place. And he says, in that place, in that room, a person will be closer to me, the God of the universe, than they could ever be in any other place, any other time, in that room. But then he says, oh, By the way, you need to have this curtain sewn tightly together, this tight weave of this curtain. It turns out a very, very thick curtain. You need to hang the curtain in the entranceway to the Holy of Holies because no one can go there. You were made for this. Like Here's the place where you you could know you could touch the face of God virtually. He's saying you can't go there because of your sin. It's just like Adam and Eve. It's the very same problem Moses had it, the sin problem. All of Moses' contemporaries had it, the sin problem. And God is saying, you were made for this intimacy, but you can't have it. It's been ruined. It's been destroyed by your sin. So there's this place, and you need to see, you need to know it's there. But there's going to be this constant reminder. There's this wall. There's this barrier. But there's this touch of grace. And God says, "I, I want you to know my grace. I want you to know there's hope. Because one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, the Day of Reconciliation, there'll be one person that'll be allowed to enter the Holy of Holies and be in my presence as never before. I have the high priest, and the high priest has to take the life of an animal, just like God did back in Genesis, take the life of an animal that has to be bloodshed. And I'm going to pour out this, this touch of grace, and this one person on one day of the year is going to get to go in, some time passes and they, the Israelites finally make their way to the promised land. Finally, and they settle and they build homes and palaces and on and on. And, and finally, you get past the time that David, most famous king of Israel, David's king, his son Solomon becomes king. And God says to Solomon, now I want you to take this tabernacle that you've had all these years. It's basically, it's this huge tent that's partitioned out. He so says, now I want you to make it this permanent building, this beautiful, spectacular temple. And in the temple, I want there to be the special rooms, just like the tabernacle. And there'll be this place, this place you were made for, the Holy of Holies. And above all places, whoever enters there, they'll be in my presence as they were designed to be, as they could be no place else. But you need to take this curtain and tightly weave it together. And it's this thick curtain. Some of the historical experts think it was, it was four inches thick. And hanging across the entrance, because no one can enter the holy of holies, because they all, they all have this sin problem. But there's this touch of grace. One day a year, Day of Atonement, Day of Reconciliation, this high priest can can take the life of an animal, blood is shed, and he can go in, he can experience. And all along, even back to Genesis, there are these little subtle suggestions. That there's someone coming to fix the problem, and as you fold through the pages of the Old Testament, the suggestions get clearer and sharper and begin to come into view. That there indeed, there's someone coming. There's someone who's going to fix the problem. There's someone who's going to finally resolve things. And you get to the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah lived at 700 BC, so he was about nearly three centuries after the temple has been built, 700 years before Jesus comes. Isaiah is writing in Isaiah 53. And I started to read it today, but I will let you read it for yourself. But the entire chapter, 12 verses, it spells out the Son of God is going to come and He's going to be pierced for our sins. And every one of our sins will be laid upon Him and He's going to die for those sins. His blood's going to be shed. And and when He's done with all that, There are going to be so many descendants of his that come that live this vibrant life. Isaiah spells out 700 years in advance. So you get to the Old Testament. You get to the New Testament and Jesus, Christmas time, Jesus comes. He grows up. He's 30 years old. He starts this public ministry. He's just begun the public ministry. The very last if you will, Old Testament prophet is John the Baptist, and John the Baptist has this one job. It's to point out the Messiah, Jesus. And you get to John chapter 1, and Jesus is walking past, and John the Baptist sees him, and John the Baptist doesn't say, look, the Messiah. He says, look, the Lamb of God. He's saying, look, the sacrifice of God. That's the Messiah. He is the sacrifice of God and Jesus would say to his followers for 3 years he would say this is why i came i came to give my life for you and for everybody mark 10:45 one of the places this is Jesus talking he's referring to himself for even the son of man himself came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many to give his life like, to, to purchase to purchase new life for many So, Good Friday comes. The day comes that Jesus is being crucified on the cross. And from Adam and Eve, throughout the entire run of human history, from Adam and Eve to John 19, there's this massive sin problem every single human being has had. And they don't need a great teacher, they need a Savior. They need a Savior. And it's John 19, and Jesus has been on the cross for six hours, and they offer him this last taste of fluid. In John 19, 30, John records, when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. That's the gospel of John. But the gospel of Mark picks up the same story, but gives two more important details. Gospel of Mark, Mark is unfolding what happened through the day, and Mark says, sometime... Earlier that afternoon, it says Jesus cries out and he says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And the significance of that is that from eternity past, I mean, God the Father and God the Son, God the Spirit had made everything. They had always been. They had always been like this. And now that he's on the cross, now he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He's saying, now I've taken on the sins of all of mankind. And I'm on the other side of the curtain now where they've been all this time. I'm on the other side of the curtain. Why have you abandoned me? I've taken on the sin of everybody on my back. Why have you abandoned me? And then Mark rolls into this, Mark fifteen thirty-seven, thirty-eight. 38. This is the very end of Jesus' life. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And biblical scholars think that when he says he breathed another loud cry, they believe what he shouted was what John had recorded, that the tetelestai, it is finished. And Mark is saying that Jesus is on the cross and he's not down to one feeble breath and he just barely utters the words, it is finished. Mark is saying he shouts out this massive declaration, it is finished. And then Mark goes on and says, and the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Jesus is on this hill outside the edge of Jerusalem, and the temple which has been there for eons and eons, has had this curtain there for eons and eons, and no one can enter in. The moment Jesus shouts out, it is finished, it's done, it's complete, I've done the job, he dies supernaturally, this massive curtain from top to bottom is ripped in two. And all of a sudden, not just figuratively, but in reality, there's this huge gaping hole that gives access to God. That had never existed before, there's this huge gaping hole. Jesus is saying, it's finished, the the one thing every human being has ever needed has now been done. I have done it. I Me, mean, I have blown the doors wide open. The curtain has been ripped in two. And then on Sunday... He rose from the dead and came back to life, not as a dead Savior, but as a risen Savior, as a risen Savior. And the news would spread throughout all of Jerusalem like wildfire, and then throughout all of the nation of Israel like wildfire, and then throughout the Roman Empire. And it has even spread to the Bay Area of Texas today that there was this day on a Friday that Jesus took our place, and He, he died on a cross. He, he went on the other side of the curtain where we're at. And when he breathed his last, he said, I've, it's finished. It's finished. The work has been finished. And when he died, the curtain was ripped in two. And there's this massive gaping hole to God. There's this massive gaping opening to God that never existed before. But God doesn't force us into that kind of relationship with him. He says, I, I offer to everyone, this is how you walk through that gaping hole. You place your faith in Jesus Romans 3.22, one of many places that say this, we're made right with God. In other words, we can go through the gaping hole made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, very important. This is true for everyone who places their faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what sins I've committed or you've committed. It doesn't matter how many I've committed, you've committed, this is true for everyone, everyone who places their faith in Jesus. And this is really important to understand. Biblical faith is this. It means to honestly, authentically ask two things of Jesus. One is to ask him to forgive your sins. To say, I, I'm a sinner like everybody else and I can't fix it. I deeply, desperately need you, want you to forgive my sins. And then to say, would you, would you, Lead my life. I deeply want you to lead my life. I want to surrender leadership of my life to you. That's faith. That's biblical faith. Would you forgive my sins? Would you lead my life? That is biblical faith. When someone authentically asks those two things, they walk through the gaping hole. They walk through the gaping hole. I'll tell you three things that happen. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says this is a new life. This is a new life. And here are three things that happen. When you've walked through the gaping hole, you are completely forgiven. Not mostly forgiven. Not forgiven of most things. Not forgiven of the moderate things. You're forgiven of everything. Once and for all, everything. And there's some of you here that are followers of Jesus, and, and you know that. But you need to know it fresh again. Like when, when he ripped the curtain in two and you walked through the gaping hole, when you said, forgive me and lead me, he has forgiven every single sin. And he doesn't drag them back out again. They are forgiven. You need to know that. That's what Jesus did. And there are many of you here that have never placed your faith in Jesus, never said, forgive me and lead me. And, and you're a sinner like everybody else that's ever lived. And you're still on the other side of this curtain that's been ripped in two and you need to know that if you choose to place your faith in jesus if you walk through the gaping hole every single sin of your life the authority of this world jesus says every single sin will be forgiven and they'll stay forgiven they will stay forgiven. he will not drag them back out you're forgiven secondly you have this relationship with god and this relationship with you don't just know about him which most of the world does you have this relationship with him i'll give you an analogy when I went to work for Sun Oil Company, the very first interview I had, I heard about this legend with a company named Benny Franks. He was this very ordinary-looking man. He was not very tall, a little bit stout, a little bit pudgy, bald-headed, but he was brilliant and charismatic, and I heard about him. I would, be, I would hear him uh, speak from the stage at meetings, and, and I'd be inspired by him and, and deeply, deeply impressed by this man I knew a lot about. But I didn't know Benny Franks. I could never get to know him. I could never open the door to get to know him. He had to open the door. And then one day he did. And said, here's the door to my office. Why don't you come by? Why don't you sit down? I want to get to know you. get to know me. I want to mentor you. And, And I went from knowing about him to knowing him. And when you place your faith in Jesus, no matter how much you've known about him, now you suddenly you know him. The way God describes it, he says the relationship is so close. He says Jesus begins to live in you. It's that close. He begins to live in you. It's a real, it's a real relationship. And finally, you, you're given a new eternal address. You're given a new eternal address. The old address was this godless eternity called hell, which is what sin does new eternal address is this God-filled eternity called heaven, which is what Jesus has opened the path to. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 19, would say, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. What Moses could never do, we can boldly enter most heaven's place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Friends, it—it's finished. The sin problem—it's been solved. It's been resolved for two thousand years. It is finished. The curtain's been torn in two. And there are a lot of you in this room. You know that, and you've walked through the gaping hole. And you know that. And today, the deal for you today is just be reminded. It's true. It's what Jesus did for you, and you're experiencing it. You're living it. Celebrate. Be grateful. But many of you have never walked through the opening Jesus has created. And, and you can. All you have to do is decide, I, I, I need, I want you, Jesus, to forgive me. And I authentically want you to lead my life. And you might even not know what that means. And you probably figured out, even though you try, you'll fail and fall. If you just authentically want him to lead your life, if you surrender leadership to him, then, then you've walked through the gaping hole This brand new life is yours. And I would say, why why would you pass another Easter and not take advantage of what's been done for you? Why would you live a life on the other side of the curtain apart from God? When you were made, you were made. This deep intimacy of the God of the universe now and forever, why would you not do that? Why would you not say, Jesus, forgive me, lead me? All of you got a program coming in Take that program, take it out now if you would, all of you. I want to ask you to do something that might be helpful for you. It's a very private thing, but might be helpful for you. On every program on the front, there's this piece of cloth. It's this purple maroon color. It's this very small symbolic piece of cloth that symbolizes the curtain that hung in the tabernacle or the temple all those years back when. And let me ask you right now, like rip that piece of cloth off the program. There's just one staple, just rip it off the program. And put that piece of cloth in your hand. Just hold that piece of cloth in your hand. And, and ponder ponder what you've heard this day. And ponder the response that you've already made or the response that you want to make today. And after I pray, there'll be about two or three minutes to reflect upon what we've heard. To reflect upon that. And, and as you reflect upon it, this is what I would, would offer to you. And this is why we've given you this cloth. If at some point in your reflection... If it helps you just have this visual that the barrier between you and God, if you trust Jesus, the barrier is ripped in two. It is no longer barrier, it is ripped in two, then take that piece of cloth and just rip it in two. Just between you and God, say, say the barrier has been ripped for me. I have trusted my life to Jesus maybe a long time ago, maybe now. And say, it is ripped for me, and there is no barrier there any longer because jesus said accurately it is finished it's all accomplished it's done it's done the gaping hole is there if you're ripping that or you choose to rip it in the minutes to come then you're saying then i have walked through the gaping hole i've walked through the gaping hole so let me pray and spend time reflecting upon that father in heaven stunning grace we could never find our way through the curtain we could never fight our way through the curtain only Jesus could do it at a high price, and he did. The Stunning love he did. He, he ripped the curtain in two long, long ago. And Father, thank you that, that we walk through the curtain not by being good or being good enough or by, by changing our life. We walk through by placing our faith in Jesus and saying, I trust you, forgive me, and would you please change me? Would you please guide me? And Father, I pray in these these next brief minutes that your spirit will stir deeply, deeply, tenderly in every single heart. In Jesus' name, amen.